if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Indeed, it is. And a good morning to you. Thank- 9 o'clock. Thanks, Ian, for being with us as hour number two commences on this Wednesday, the sixth morning of the fifth month of the year of our Lord, 2020. Appreciate you being here. So um, perhaps you noticed the voice a little bit. It didn't become aware apparent to me. This particular voice, I didn't know who he was uh, until last Friday. This past Friday, Uh, This voice caught my attention because it was the best question I have seen or heard asked of Governor Mike Nospine and Dr. Labcoat, and this particular one was directed to uh, DeWine. Uh, It was the best question I've heard since this entire uh, pandemic began and certainly since the Ohio Daily Press briefings began. This was the question on Friday that completely stumped Governor Mike DeWine. WMFD-TV, Mansfield, uh, my question is for you. Uh, the new order has a long list of rules, um, and it seems that regardless of what it's called, the order can be mandated because we are in a state of an emergency. Governor, you're an attorney. Uh, my question is, what direct evidence do you have, not circumstantial, but direct evidence, to justify continuing in a state of an emergency? And what's the measurable, measurable criteria? Is it one death is too many? Is it 25 percent unemployment? Is it seniors who have lost complete physical contact with loved ones, many of them who will perish without ever seeing or touching family members again? Or is it the two-week decline in hospitalizations that you talked about on national TV just a couple days ago? So what direct evidence can you point viewers to that justifies staying in the state of emergency? Thank you. So when I played that, when I first heard that and then played that, as you could tell at the beginning, his name got cut off. And I played it for you on Monday, and I said, you know, I don't know who the reporter is, but this is a great question. And immediately, my inbox, my phone uh, text messaging, and people called to say, I know who that is. That's Jack Windsor. Jack Windsor, Windsor from Mansfield asks the best questions at all of these press briefings. And I said, well, then Jack Windsor must be on this program. And fortunately for us, he was available and kind enough to join us now from WMFD Television in Mansfield, the thorn in Mike DeWine's side. Jack Windsor joins us now on AM 1420, The Answer. Jack, it is good to talk to you, sir. How are you? Uh, greetings, Bob. Uh, it's an honor to, to be here with you and your WHK audience. I am well, and uh, more galvanized and determined today than ever. 
I uh, I feel like I was late to the party. Uh, I didn't. I didn't. Like I said, I, I I'll be honest with you. I try not to watch the press briefings live, and the reason why is because I don't want to be you know add my name to the list of people who are calling the suicide hotline, uh, which is growing longer and longer by the day. Uh, I can't do it. So what I usually do is I will wait, and then I will look for transcripts, and then I will look for highlights, and then I will go ahead and cut those audio uh, portions up and play them on the show. So I haven't heard of you until, again, Friday's question. But then when I tried to find you online, I found out not only are you, you know, uh, there every day and have been asking these questions for a while now, you got a fan club, Jack. There's a Jack Windsor fan club Facebook page. So I'm, I'm late to the party, man. How'd you, uh, uh, I mean, your celebrity obviously, uh, precedes your, uh, yourself. Well, you know, um, a couple of things. I, uh, technically, I am, I'm a freelance investigative journalist. And uh, this assignment is something, uh, truthfully, that I didn't find. It found me. And uh, I'll talk about that a little bit later. Mm-hmm. I was a little late to the party, too. It wasn't until about uh, two and a half weeks ago that I even stepped foot into the state house and, and had a chance to ask questions. And the reason that that happened is that at WMFD-TV and uh, through our affiliate radio stations, we have a, a pretty big footprint. And we were getting a lot of messages from people, and they were wanting to ask some really hard questions. And as these pressers progressed, they weren't being asked. So I decided to step into that void. What's been really interesting is, um, you know, this isn't about me. It's, it's, about, it's not about celebrity. It's not about, uh, you know, whether uh, I'm, I'm smart or, or qualified. It's about the questions that we're asking are on behalf of people who want answers, and they're resonating. I have been absolutely floored by the response. I get literally uh, probably near 100 messages a day from folks who want to ask questions and uh, who want to provide support and encouragement. It's been overwhelming, but it's also been um, an inspiration, which is really important because I'm swimming upstream a lot. Jack, um, you're right. It is important, and I know you are swimming upstream because as I, since I became aware of you, uh, and I watched yesterday's question as well, in which you addressed the Lieutenant Governor Houston about whether or not counties should have the rights to, right to make decisions on, um, uh, you know, who ought to be able to go out to work and, and what the policy should be in their various lo- locales. Uh, you know, you, you are the only one doing this. Uh, and that's why you're swimming upstream because everybody else just wants to kowtow to, uh, the dictator. And I'm sorry if I'm being a little bit extreme with my language, but he's, to me, it's tyranny. To me, he is on a power trip, he being Mike DeWine. Uh, and he has allowed, moreover, Amy Acton to kind of, uh, to kind of drive the boat on this power trip as she makes all of the decisions here. So you are, you are a very lonely voice in a, in a crowd of willing, you know, accedence to whatever it is that uh, the governor wants to say. Uh, so let me ask you, while you're there and you're um, in the midst of other reporters while staying six feet apart, do you ever get any shade thrown your way? Does anybody else have a problem with you asking the tough questions that they won't? I'm going to answer that in two parts. First of all, everyone there works hard. And, uh, you know, my... My expectation is that everyone there is passionate about journalism reporting and, um, you know, spreading information to the masses. So, so the benefit of the doubt is everybody there is, is doing what they feel like they need to be doing. And I respect that and I honor that. Uh, there certainly is a level of competitiveness. Uh, there certainly is also a lo- level of, of collaboration. I will tell you, um, I'm, I'm kind of outside that, that curve. The questions that I do ask are, uh, 
let me give you an example. The first question that I ever asked was directed at Dr. Acton. And I said something along the lines of regarding her uh, statement that she found it to be a dream that we could have these immunity certificates. I let her know that that really set off alarm bells in Ohio's civil libertarian community. And the minute that I said that, behind me I heard, (gasps) and, you know, it was uh, was as if I disrespected some unwritten rule. Uh, I just was going with the feedback that I got. People were alarmed because they thought, okay, if we need immunity certificates, then we need vaccines. And vaccines would be mandatory. And, you know, it's, it's my body, my right. If I don't want to take a vaccine, I don't want to take a vaccine. But if I need to take it in order to get a certificate to, to go live my life and go to work, something's wrong here. So that was the first question. Um, but, yes, there's uh, – and since then, uh, Cleveland.com, uh, you know, there was an editorial that was uh, – a letter to the editor that was written. And, uh, you know, they didn't make any bones about the fact that I don't – always wear a mask. I was, I was singled out there. I don't because I, I've had respiratory issues most of my life. And frankly, the uh, Surgeon General has said, I don't know that there's efficacy there. And uh, there are doctors that I have talked to who have said, the masks actually may be unhealthy. I know they are for me as someone who has asthma. Uh, and then there was another, uh, another short blurb put out by the Columbus Dispatch, which hit the Gannett uh, you know, network of affiliates. And uh, they took one of the questions that I asked and then uh, kind of chopped up and spliced a video of the governor saying that it was uh, it was conspiratory or I was a conspiracist. So, uh, yeah, I think I have been marginalized. And uh, for, for me, it's not about me. If they want to marginalize me, that's okay. Where I get my, my feathers a little bit ruffled is that um, I'm, I'm trying to represent millions of Ohioans who are probably at the beginning thought this is a great direction, we're doing the right thing, but now they're becoming restless. Uh, because they've been stripped of their liberties, they're not getting consistent information, and uh, instead of receiving that with open arms, uh, we're, you know that, that voice is getting marginalized. We're talking with Jack Windsor. He's an investigative reporter. He's an independent investigative reporter, but he is working now on this particular assignment, covering the daily press briefings, as he said, for WMFD-TV in, um, in Mansfield. Um, just very quickly, back to the Acton question. Because I made a big deal of this too, uh, and and a lot of my listeners did as well. Um, it was very reminiscent, quite frankly, of having to wear the Star of David, or uh, in being told prior to the start of World War II, uh, you must show your papers, uh, which is what Jews were told uh, throughout Nazi Germany. You must show your papers to show that you can be here. Was essentially what we're talking about with a certificate or an ID card of uh, immunity or antibodies. Uh, from the COVID. So the, the idea that this is unprecedented, it's not a big stretch to say that when the government tells you you must show an ID card to exist in public, that's a very, very dangerous place. It's not a big leap. And the, the other part of this that I brought up, Jack, and you can respond to this too, it's not just the vaccine. Of course, the other way to do it would be to have gotten the disease and built up the antibodies. So in other words, in order to live and move and conduct commerce freely in public, you will have already had to have the disease. Yet, they are telling you, stay indoors and shelter in place so you don't get the disease. Those two things cannot coexist together, and that's what she was doing. That's what I wanted somebody, and I want somebody to bring up to her because the idea is—I mean, it's, it's just so—it's it just—it's just lacking in fundamental common sense. You know, it is. And uh, in, in one of my questions, I, I, I really tried to attack that. 
And I gave um, evidence of some of the serological testing out of New York, uh, two out of California, one out of Florida, and then, you know, some across the, the ocean there, uh, uh, you know, on another continent. And how I teed the question up was I, I actually utilized their information and their statistics. Dr. Acton was on record a couple of weeks ago saying she believes that 5% to 15% of our uh, Ohio population is infected. And so um, I took that information and, you know, you multiply that out mm-hmm. uh, by the you know, 11.6 to 11.7 million Ohioans and you get a number. And then you, you divide the, the current number of deaths by that number. And then that gives you a fatality rate that is either 0.001 or 0.0004, either at the flu or about half of the flu. Um, and I teed that question up as a way to say, look, if, if this is the case, it was highly contagious, but it's not highly fatal because they talked about it being 20 times more deadly. Can mm-hmm. we change the narrative? Can we start talking about this from the vantage point of, you know, there, there is hope. Um, and I was told that, that those statistics were inaccurate, but they're her statistics. Her statistics. So I, I was a little bit confused by that. And then, you know, there's this talk about the CDC because I, I actually put this in, in that question as well. It seems like there's cherry picking. You know, we take parts of what the CDC says and, and we talk about them as, as being effective and a great strategy. But the CDC has also said that what went on in uh, in Switzerland, uh, or excuse me, um, what went on Sweden. in Sweden. In, in Sweden, yes, thank you. Uh, in, in Sweden, uh, was actually good because outside of the fact that they didn't get the congregate living situation handled out of the gate, uh, it's it's allowed people to contract the virus, which goes toward the entire end of, of herd immunity. And, you know, if 5 to 15% of us are, are already there, then why not? I mean, herd immunity is, is really the, the, the best end game. You know, we can talk about vaccines all day long, and I'm not going to get into the, you know, vaccine, anti-vaccine debate, but what we know is that about 40% of the time they're effective. Um, but if we understand that this has a high contagion rate, and a, a low fatality rate, why wouldn't we use the strength of this virus against itself and really focus our resources on congregate living and really get honest with people about who's affected? It's 80 and above with existing conditions. Seldom is it, is it affecting people within a certain, you know, lower age range and, and kids are not uh, dying from this. That, that's just false. So, um, you know, there's, there's a little bit of confusion around in, in my mind why we're not taking st- and data points that are readily available and integrating them into these daily press conferences. When we talk about we want to be transparent and and we want to rely on science and data. Jack Windsor is my guest. Jack, I've uh, I've got to take a a quick time out here, but I've got two more questions for you. Can you hang on through the break? Absolutely. Okay, Jack Windsor is uh, with us from uh, WMFD-TV, but more technically he's an independent journalist, uh, investigative journalist, working uh, the press briefings on a daily basis, and he'll continue with us right after this. Ten twenty-five. Let's continue with Jack Windsor here for five more minutes. Uh, he is an investigative uh, reporter who is asking questions that uh, 
I promise you, every time your hand goes into the air, and I don't know how they choose you guys, Mike DeWine is probably like, oh, God, uh, please make it for somebody else. Yesterday, Jack, it was for somebody else. Yesterday, you asked uh, John Husted about the counties who are asking for a little bit of uh, autonomy. And, you know, I, I, a lot of people don't understand this and believe this, but there are other doctors in the state of Ohio, state of Ohio besides Amy Acton. Uh, I think Mike DeWine wants you to think she's the only one. That's it. What she says is 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 the medical word and law. But there are doctors on the Board of Health in Ashland County, in Lorain County, in Medina County, in Portage County, in Cuyahoga County, and guess what? Not every county is the same. So you ask them, can these counties be allowed to make up their own minds about when people go back to work, what is essential, what is non-essential? And John Houston essentially said to you, as I heard it, without saying it directly, because God forbid a politician give a direct answer, but he basically said, no, we're calling the shots, that's it. Yes. So, you know, I find it interesting um, when you look at what the White House is doing and the feds are doing. They have a program, and governors are able to exercise some autonomy. So wouldn't it make sense then for that to trickle down to, to different counties? Because not every county is the same. I was born and raised in Ashland, Ohio. They've had 10 cases. I believe almost all of them have been asymptomatic, and they've had zero deaths. So the county commissioners came together and wrote a letter to the governor and said, look, we want to decide what's essential. We want to give people their constitutional rights back right away. So my question to the lieutenant governor yesterday was, how is this administration going to act? Because we know counties are having these conversations at increasing numbers where they're saying, we want to decide who is essential. We want to give people their liberties back. And are you going to be heavy-handed or are you going to be helpful? Interestingly enough, the, the answer was basically look, we have the program, and counties have to have to follow suit, which, you know, it just in terms of consistency doesn't make sense because, again, governors are given latitude. Why wouldn't counties be given latitude? And when you look at, at New York, that was the hotbed for the United States, yet they sectioned it up into regions, and they rolled out a reopening plan based on that, but we're not doing that in Ohio. It doesn't make sense. No, it really does not. And, it, and again, it goes back to what I said before. Uh, somebody called me yesterday and said, you know, I disagree with what Mike DeWine is doing, but I believe his heart is in the right place. I believe he is not intentionally trying to, you know, uh, oppress the people, et cetera, et cetera. He's trying his best. And I, and I don't agree. And the reason I don't agree is what you just said. You gave him an opportunity, Lieutenant Governor Houston, an opportunity to say, yes, we would like to bring other people and other idea, uh, ideas on, on this and let them have some autonomy trickle down, as you say. And they're saying no, because it's a power trip. I think Mike DeWine loves the attention he's getting. He's getting national attention. He's being called America's governor by some. And um, Amy Acton just had a six-minute butt-kissing video put together by the New York Times, which calls her the leader we all wish we had. And I think, how? She has been wrong from day one. The models she used were wrong. The 100,000 uh, a person infected at that moment in early March was wrong. The 98,000 per day peak that we were supposed to get was wrong. Everything she has said has been wrong. I don't know how that is the mark of a great leader. Um, I don't want to go off too far on that. Let me ask you this. What's today's question going to be? Do you have it worked out yet? So uh, today is actually there's a reprieve uh, because of uh, what's going on with the legislature. Uh, tomorrow we're going to dive in. And tomorrow, um, I'm going to tip the cards here, and I guess I'll give them a day to, to be ready. Um, you know, it kind of centers around this. If masks work, why do businesses need to be closed? If they don't work, why are, why are we forced to wear them? 
And to your point about other doctors and, and people um, weighing in and saying, this is an issue. It's a health issue. It's a, it's a privacy issue. It's a, an overstepping, taking my civil liberties issue. And let's stop marginalizing. You know, there's a lot of, if you watch either after the fact or you tune in during, there's a lot of shaming going on. It's not always what they say. It's what they don't say. Right. And, um, you know, there's a lot of comments, comments about, you know, w- when we do this collectively, we're protecting each other. Okay. So what if we don't do it? What you're saying is we're not protecting each other. And that you and, don't care about other people and you're selfish and you don't care if you kill people by spreading a contagious, deadly disease to them. That is exactly what it is. I apologize for jumping in on you, but I'm up against my news. And I want to ask you this last question, even though I'm going to yeah. go past the news. See if you can consider this one for Friday. You've okay. seen what Attorney General uh, Bill Barr has said, right, about deprivation of rights under color of law? Absolutely, yeah. That I want somebody to ask Mike DeWine, and for those who don't know what I'm talking about, Title 18 USC, U.S. Code, Section 242 reads, Whoever under color of any law, statute, ordinance, regulation, or custom willfully subjects any person in any state, territory, commonwealth, possession, or district to the deprivation of any rights privileges or immunities secured or protected by the Constitution shall be fined under this title and or imprisoned for not more than one year or both. So, Jack, what Amy Acton is doing is in direct violation of the U.S. Constitution as guidance offered by uh, Attorney General Bill Barr suggests. I would like to hear them defend uh, why they're doing what they're doing. I'll give you 30 seconds to respond to that. I agree. I've read the title, and you're spot on. You just read it verbatim. And if you go back a couple of weeks, Attorney General Barr also said that the Department of Justice will side with the complainant in issues where someone says governors have overstepped. So not only do they have the teeth of the law, it seems they have the spirit in them that says, look, you cannot take people's rights. He said, regardless of whether or not it's a crisis, your constitutional rights are there and they stick and they don't get taken away. So that's the spirit. The problem is due process takes time, right? And we're finding that out as the legislators go back to work. So, um, you know, we have to be loud, we have to be determined, and we have to keep reaching out. Jack, see if you can hit him with that one on Friday. I know you have your own order of questions. By the way, I love the one for tomorrow about the masks. Great, great question. Keep up the great work. But see if you can hit him with uh, with the U.S. Code and what Attorney General Barr said, because I'd lo- I'd love to ask him myself, but I had him on two weeks ago. He didn't like the way I asked questions, so he declined to come back on, which means he didn't have any answers for the questions I posed, much like he doesn't for you on a daily basis. So you still get under the crack at him at the press briefing, so see if you can throw that one in for me and for all of us. And Jack Windsor, thanks so much for what you're doing. We appreciate it. Will do. Thank you. It's been an honor. God bless you. You got it. Thank you, Jack. 1033. We're way late for news, but let's get there now. AM 1420, The Answer. All right, 1040, as we continue now on AM 1420, The Answer. Back a little late for the segment because we went a little long with uh, Jack Windsor. And uh, it's okay. I think it was worth it, to be honest with you. And Jack had a lot of really good stuff to say, and he's fighting a very important fight. He's the lone voice challenging the orthodoxy uh, in the uh, daily press briefings with Mike DeWine and Amy Acton. Everybody else just nods in agreement that, yeah, we're all going to die if we don't do exactly what Dr. Labcoat says. No, uh, it's a lot uh, deeper than that. Jack Windsor's doing great, great investigative and uh, just reporter work, journalism work. Uh, for us. I want to pivot away from some of the negativity now and talk about the positivity. Although I guess you really can't have one without the other. The negative negativity is more and more kids are going hungry right now. 
than uh, than they are at really any other time. And that's because we are seeing an unprecedented level of unemployment or underemployment as people lose their jobs or furloughed. Hours are cut because of all of the businesses shut down by the uh, uh, by the state, by order of uh, Amy Acton and uh, Mike DeWine. So we have a very big problem here. Kids are going hungry. I played for you at the top of the show. The uh, Dallas business owner who decided to open her business in defiance of the Texas state order because her children are starving and her mortgage isn't paid. And the children of her co-workers or either her employees were also starving. So who's going to take care of them if they can't open? In Cleveland, one of the answers is the Greater Cleveland Youth for Christ organization. And joining us now to talk about that, here's the positivity that comes from the negativity, uh, is uh, Johnny Fine. Johnny Fine is the City Life Director for Greater Cleveland Youth for Christ, and they are doing literally Christ's work during this terrible time. Uh, Johnny, thanks for coming on. How are you this morning? No problem, Bob. Thanks. Um, we're doing really good. Glad to be with you today. Hey, Johnny, before we talk about the work that you're doing to help feed kids during this time, uh, I got to ask you about the name, man. You sound like a rock star. Is that your real name? You you sound like a '50s rock star. Better yet, I, mean, I can I can already see you just twisting and grooving, uh, Johnny Fine. I don't know. You sound you sound like you've uh, you've got some celebrity there. Yeah, so that's that's my real name, uh, Johnny Fine. So of, I it, it's it's helped me in a lot of ways and it's got me in trouble a lot of ways. Back <laughs> <in the> day. <laughs> oh, it's great! It's great. God, God bless you, uh, Johnny. Let's yeah. talk about your work. Let's talk about uh, first of all. Just tell us for those people who don't know. Give us a little backgrounder on uh, Greater Cleveland Youth for Christ. Yeah, so um, Greater Cleveland Youth for Christ uh, was established back in the early forties by um, Billy Graham. Was one of the main Staff people and evangelists with Youth for Christ, um, but ever since then it's grown. It was originally for the bo- for the guys who were coming back from war and and just trying to work with them. But then it, it's kind of grown into the focus is now 11 to 19 year olds um, in any community who you know is just going through life and trying to navigate the hardship of the social aspects and what it is to know their identity. And we just work with them and help them understand what it is to have a relationship with uh, Jesus if they choose to have one. So about 90% of our kids are not churchgoers. And so we just work with them and help them to uh, live their best life if possible and see what that looks like to have hope in Christ if that's what they choose to do. Um, to kind of break it down for you. So our goal is really to work with the local churches, and other like-minded partners to raise up these followers of Jesus. Um, but most of our kids are from all different types of religious backgrounds or ethnicities. Johnny Fine is our guest. He is the um, uh, uh, ministries director for uh, the Greater Cleveland Youth for Christ. What a phenomenal organization and just the idea of what you are doing because it is so incredibly necessary for you know, for for all kids, I, I guess I would say, but like you said, especially for those who are not, you know, children of faith, not raised in an organized religion or anything of that nature, and just need to be exposed to some of the, uh, you know, the the greatness of Christ and what could, what that can bring to their lives. That is phenomenal uh, that you do that on a, on a regular basis. Um, yeah. But tell me now about bringing more than just the word of Christ to kids. Now you're bringing food to kids as well. Can you tell us how that's working? Yeah. So. Um, you know, when we when the whole pandemic first 
hit with all the, you know, bullies and, you know, stay at home and all that. We were just thinking, you know, we have a center and on average in a year, we probably have about a thousand different kids. So a thousand distinctive different kids come through and we engage them. Um, and we realized like, you know, our kids, one of the biggest issues that they have were was food. A lot of our kids go to school to eat. And, you know, 71% of our students are at or below the poverty line here on the near west side of Cleveland in the community where the center sits. So we realized that this was going to be something that was going to be a struggle for them. And a lot of the parents are working and already have some struggles already. So we said, you know, this is something that we can do that is simple, that we can follow the rules of the governor and, and try to respect leadership and still be in the gap for our kids. And so we started off with 250 meals for the first week, which is about 50 meals per day. And it quickly jumped in a couple of weeks up to 800 meals wow. um, in a week. And so now we currently we're around 230, 240 meals per day that we hand out to our students, their families and to other adults or families that were not connected to us in, in, the, in the original beginning um, just because of word of mouth and just trying to care. So a lot of our students have been empowered to take the research that we have as we work with them and care for them to say, hey, if you know someone else that needs something, please let us know. And a lot of these individuals and their families have been added to our feeding list is because of our students being empowered by saying, hey, you know, we can sit here and be in fear or we can sit here and, and come together and and kind of rewrite the memory of what it looks like to um, come through this time. So it's very interesting to see how God is moving in and through those young people to care for their community. Well, Johnny, uh, Johnny Fine is my guest, uh, City Life Director for the uh, Greater Cleveland Youth for Christ. Um 800 meals a week uh, and growing, those don't come free, right? Um, you know, you got to buy this food. So how can people who are listening right now help you in this mission? How can they contribute to this either with money or with food or whatever? Because I know there are a lot of people who are going to want to try to help. Yeah, so food is obviously the main thing that we're doing here, trying to um, do that for people. So uh, we're always looking for volunteers um, to come and help. Um, if they can't provide uh, resources for a meal. But we're also looking for partners like the churches and restaurants and other individuals who have already stepped up. And they can simply just go to our website at Greater Cleveland Youth for Christ and um, and just look about how to get involved and and ask, the, and then just fill out uh, inquiry um, on the inquiry page and myself, or one of my staff will call them and say, okay, how would you like to get involved? Or if you like to donate, they can go to that page, and um, there's a donate page, and they can assign yeah. it to what we call the COVID-19 food fund is what we do. I'm looking at the uh, uh, well. I'm looking at a page, uh, uh, Johnny, and I want to make sure uh, the one that I have in front of me is yfcCleveland.org, youthforchristcleveland.org. Yep. 
That that that, and then I see a donate button in the upper right hand corner. Uh, yes. That's the one we're looking at. Okay, I just want to make yes. sure to tell everybody how to get there. Yfccleveland.org. And I'm sure you, if you just Googled up uh, uh, Greater Cleveland Youth for Christ, you could find it too. But yeah, there's a volunteer tab, there's a donate tab, there's an employment tab, and all kinds of other information about a yeah. very important organization. You know, Johnny, I'm sure you realize this because you're dedicated to it, but uh, just to say it out loud, you know, what you and your colleagues and other volunteers and associates there are doing is is generational work. You know, you are changing kids' lives. I can't believe that a kid who is being helped by Youth for Christ like this and being fed by Youth for Christ like this forgets it when they turn 20 uh, or, or you know, when they become adults. They're going to remember what was done for them, and they're going to turn around and help the next one in line and help them. I mean, it's generational work that you guys are doing, and I cannot I cannot express how, how, how important that is and how, how appreciated it is, I'm sure, by everybody in the community. Well, thanks for saying that. Um, yeah, we know we know that firsthand. A lot of our kids, you know, we know that they age out after 19, but a lot of them stick around and become leaders in training. And those guys are are living examples that life can change from some negative um, things that happen to you. And those are the young leaders that we are so proud of that are you know, paving the way to, to hand this over to them, like you said, generationally. So the, the mission of Use for Christ uh, will keep going after I'm, I'm done, <clears throat> after I'm done and gone, and uh, in glory. Uh, and we're, we're just grateful that God is using the ministry at this time to, to bless others and to shine some hope yeah. in the lives of young people all over Cleveland. It's the most powerful thing there is, is hope, you know, especially when kids aren't seeing a whole lot of things to be grateful for today, the hope that things can get better and that other people care, and uh, and you do. Clearly, you and the rest of the uh, good people at uh, Greater Cleveland Youth for Christ. Again, it's uh, yfccleveland.org. If you want to donate to this organization and help them feed these kids in this terrible time and just help them continue to change the lives of kids all the time, yfccleveland.org. Johnny Fine, thanks so much for making us aware of what you're doing. Keep up the good work, sir. No problem. Thanks for having me today, and have a blessed day. God bless you. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. All right, 1051. We'll take our final time out and come right back after this on AM 1420, The Answer. final segment uh, of the morning. I want to end this show with something that I've been meaning to play for the last two days, but have not. Bill Maher is the uber-liberal HBO host who uh, wanted the economy to crash so that President Trump would be kicked out of office because the economy would be his downfall in the next election. He's reprehensible. He's pretty much a scumbag. But he's also right on this one. I want to end this show with Bill Maher, of all people, explaining the truth about what we are having done to us in this country. A new rule, the next time we have a worldwide pandemic, we have to come up with a better solution than everyone becomes Howie Mandel. You know Howie, I know Howie. Who doesn't love Howie? The world's most famous germaphobe who was social distancing before it was cool. Well, now, of course, everybody's making the joke that Howie Mandel had it right all along. No. Howie would be the first to tell you he has a disease, OCD, that f*** up your life. He can't touch a doorknob or wear shoes with laces because they might touch the ground. 
when he excuses himself to go to the bathroom, it's to clean it. No wonder, he says, it was always a curse. That behavior didn't allow me to date or go out with anybody when I was young or really even have friends. He also said, I'm always on the verge of death in my head. I worry that the past two months of quarantine have given people the idea that the way for humans to win our million-year war with microbes is to avoid them completely. And I'm here to tell you, you can't. The key to beating COVID isn't dining through glass or never going to a concert or a ball game again. It's your immune system. You hear people say COVID-19 is a new virus, so the immune system doesn't know how to handle it. Bullshit. Of course it does. That's why the vast majority of people who've had it either recovered or didn't even know they had it. What do you think did that? The human immune system. Now, there are people with immune systems that can't do the job. And we should make it a priority to protect those people. But compulsively washing, being scared of your own hands... That can't become the new normal. In his later years, when he was peeing into jars and wearing Kleenex boxes for shoes, we pitied Howard Hughes because it was pitiful. In the 70s, they made a TV movie with John Travolta about a sick kid called The Boy in the Plastic Bubble. And let me tell you, if they start selling these things on Amazon, we're in trouble. I, I, I see there's a hot new item for sale online, disinfecting shoe mats. Because COVID can get on your feet. Yes, it can get everywhere. Microbes are ubiquitous. You can keep discovering new places to scare people into buying protection for. But we're solving the problem from the wrong end. This is a health problem. We can't sanitize the universe. Governors should declare keeping our bodies in good health an essential job. Because that's the only way we are going to win this. We've all read the articles. Your sink has 500,000 bacteria per square inch. Your toothbrush has feces on it. E. coli has been found in makeup, carpets, bedding, the remote, cutting boards. The average pillow has 350,000 bacteria colonies. Your phone has 10 times the bacteria of your toilet, which your dog drinks out of, and then licks you. I, I could see right over there, right now, one of my dogs lying on the driveway like a dead fly, the driveway, where cars with God knows what on their tires pull in, and then that idiot rolls in it. And the other one, I don't know where he is, which means he's into something worse. Sometimes I see a, a dead mouse in the driveway. I don't have a cat. Something here killed it. <laughs> I'm not pointing fingers. I'm going to have to leave it there because we're out of time, but he's right. Do not allow yourself to become Howie Mandel. I love Howie, too, but his life is miserable. We cannot live in fear of germs, and we cannot sanitize the entire planet. Get us back to living again. We'll see you tomorrow.